to a farther room looking back to mid-march from right now i think the majority of people would like a do-over for different reasons um some people say the president didn't do enough um and mishandled the crisis some people say we did too much and overreacted But one thing I know is that for a brief period, we were basically united as a country back then. We didn't know much about this virus, and people were concerned, rightfully. We had no way of knowing how many people would die from it. So in the name of keeping people safe and limiting exposure, the United States basically closed its doors. The economy crashed as a result. So you can say we technically crashed the economy on purpose. And there will be a lot of debate for years to come about what was right and what was wrong about our response. The more we know about the virus, the more divided we are on what the best approaches are moving forward. I have a lot of thoughts on it. I'm a huge believer in opening schools now. I have good reasons for that, but I don't want to talk about that today. What I want to talk about is an aspect of this that I feel like doesn't get a lot of coverage. We hear about the unemployment numbers, but we don't hear the details behind them. That is, the lockdown and the crash that followed destroyed some people's lives. My brother Will is here with me for this episode. I'm presenting him as a person who has firsthand knowledge of what happened at Financial Ground Zero during all this, what happened to regular people as a result of everything that's happened since February and March. Um, Will recently changed employers, but up until the change, he was an employee at a major bank for some years. How many years was it? Six. Um, Six. So I want people to hear some of this. So your bank shut down completely for some weeks back in March and April. Is that right or wrong? Uh, What they did is they restricted access to the lobby. So people still could get in the lobby for appointments. So if they needed help that only a personal banker at a desk could provide, they could make an appointment. They were screened um, with health screening questions. We got a bunch of information from them so that we could track them 
in the event that someone at the branch came down with coronavirus, we'd want to know who else was in the branch, on what day, what time they were there, with contact information so that we could reach out to them. So it was never technically closed. The drive through stayed open. Uh, it always stayed open. And uh, I think most banks kind of followed that model. So they're like your essential personnel, basically. So you never close completely. Correct. Okay. Well, so how soon was it after the lockdown happened where, you know, other businesses were ordered to close and that type of thing? How soon was it after that that you started getting a sense that people were struggling, like people were showing up at the bank desperate? Mm. Well, I remember it was March 13th. It just happened to be a Friday. So it was Friday the 13th. It was in March. And um, that's when Trump um, came out and declared a national state of emergency. I remember watching the press conference. I was not at work that day. I had taken the week off because that was in the middle of my wife's spring break. So I intentionally took that week off so that we could spend some time together. So that was Friday the 13th when I went back to work on Monday, I guess that would have been the 16th, um, immediately after that. I've never seen central office bombard us with memos and alerts like they did that day and in the, in the days that followed. And we were having our, myself and the, the other manager and a couple of, um, couple of our desk side bankers met you know, just like we always do to, you know, review the week that's, that's coming up for us. And, um, we just couldn't help, you know, to watch the stock market was just crashing that day. And we were getting calls from people that were panicking because of everything that was going on. Are y'all open? Are y'all going to be open? Do I need to come get my cash out? Um, I'm not going to get into specifics, but, um, you know, people, when they look at a bank, they think there's a million dollars there. There's not. Banks typically keep a very low supply of cash on hand. They do that for security reasons. They don't want to have a huge stockpile in a building because that's a greater security risk. So there's a normal shipment schedule at banks where excess cash is, is shipped out. Um, there are other measures that banks will put in place to, to safeguard their money, but that's the usual rule of thumb. Um, and I'm not going to get into specifics of what was done, but we got a lot of communication on that to prepare for a wave of people coming to demand their money and cash. Cause there's something about when that, when people are stressed out and there's a crisis, they want their cash in hand even if it's not warranted. So that's a long way of answering your question. The very next day um, that we were back in, we were overrun with people coming to pull their money out. You know, sometimes it was a few hundred bucks, but we had people coming in wanting to cash out entire CDs that were forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000, and they wanted it all in cash. So people were immediately alert to the facts, and uh, I guess it was probably about a about a month later um, that the that the wave of loan payments missed, and and people looking for financial support and businesses um, looking for support came. So the people who were 
having a hard time because of all this, did it seem like a certain demographic, like age group or background, or did it seem to pretty much span everybody? Yeah, um, as far as age goes, it, it did span everybody. Um, the location I was at, the usual clientele that we have receive government assistance anyway. A large chunk of them did, I should say. So they weren't particularly affected because they get the same thing every week and it's, excuse me, every month and it's from the federal government. But I'll give you an example. There was a, uh, a lady, she was early 60s probably, um, one of my clients that I just happened to do a loan for in the past. Uh, she called me very, very upset um, there from the beginning because a lot of things happened when the economy took a dive and... Uh, if you remember what happened with the price of oil, uh, it got to the point where it was, you're talking about negative prices for oil. So, you know, those suppliers are, are paying you to take the oil. Uh, now, it rebounded pretty quickly after that, but um, it's still nowhere near where it was. Well, this woman, a, a large part of her income came from oil royalties. So uh, she didn't have any money. She, I mean, it's it. a huge chunk of her income was gone. And uh, people have to make really tough decisions when they're, when they're in that position. And if you're looking at a choice between keeping the lights on or paying the line of credit down at the bank, um, you're, you're going to pick keeping the lights on every time. Can you tell us about somebody you spoke with during this time that stuck out to you or was really um, sort of a good, ex- sort of a personification of everything that's been happening around the country? Sure. There was a young man who made an appointment with us because he had lost his debit card. So it was a pretty run-of-the-mill appointment. And because of that, I brought a young lady who was an associate of ours into my office so that I could train her. She was being trained on having that sort of conversation and helping in that situation. I thought it was going to be a pretty easy thing. So it was something to get her feet wet on and get some good exposure. Brought him in my office and um, started having a conversation with him. Come to find out. Uh, he was, I believe, on his third month of not paying his apartment rent. Um, I have never, ever seen somebody um, just unravel right in front of me the way that he did. You know, he, he started out keeping it together, and then once we started talking about his situation, it was, it was just... Uh, the conversation lasted a long time and it took a while for him to pull himself together, which I understand. Uh, basically what happened is he works for a large retailer. The retailer sent him home. Um, just like lots of businesses have furloughed workers, sent them home, cut their hours. He couldn't get other employment. Um, unemployment benefits existed out there, but it's a very strenuous process. Uh, to go through that and get approved, and sometimes it takes some time. And uh, in the meantime, your bills don't stop. So he hmm. was three months behind on his apartment rent. Hmm. His um, his next question to me was, is it possible for me to get a credit card? 
because at least I can catch up on my rent payment and I don't worry about paying. He's just looking to buy himself some time. Well, he didn't get approved for the card. He had a 502 credit score. Um, so his credit shot, he has no money. And this is someone that is literally facing ruin. His back's against a wall. He doesn't have anywhere else to go. Um, the retailer was bringing him back um, within the next couple of weeks, but his usual work tour had been cut in half. So he could not expect the same wages that he was receiving before that. It was going to be half of what he usually earned. And that's if they brought him back at all. Um, I, I never spoke with him again. But uh, the only reason he had not been evicted is because of the, um, the, the current regulations and executive orders that have halted evictions in, in a lot of housing communities. And, and those are either a very near expiring or have recently expired. I know they're debating that in Washington right now, whether that should be extended. But uh, even if time is bought where you aren't evicted under normal circumstances, the money you owe is not going away. You still owe that money. Um, that's one of many, many examples that I could tell you. But it just really st struck me because it was a young guy. Um, just starting out on his own, living independently. Hmm. While he was working the tour he was working, things were going fine. Um, but uh, you can't help but think about how deep in the hole he is already. Considering his credit score situation as a result of what's happened, he hadn't been able to pay his his other obligations. And um, I think that just really encapsulates the feeling that a lot of people have of they just feel backed into a corner. Is it fair to say that you struggled with this personally? Like being the front on the front lines of this and having to talk to people and tell I'm sorry, we can't give you any money. Right. Well, it's, it's hard. It's, it's awkward because you've got certain things that you have at your disposal and you're exactly right. You only have so many arrows in your quiver beyond that. There's really nothing you can do. Um, people come to the bank when they've got all sorts of issues because they just assume that the bank can point them in the right direction and the bank can help them. But um, it's, it's really, really hard to look at someone who is just melting down, having this full-blown anxiety panic attack because they don't know what they're going to do, and um, being able to say nothing except, you know, I'm really sorry about your situation. Um, that's that's tough if you have any sort of conscience. Uh, it's tough mm -hmm. to separate someone dealing with that from the rest of your life. Yeah, it's it's hard to package that and just set it into the corner of your brain. I thought about that guy, you know, every day for I don't know how many days in a row, probably weeks, uh, and I still think about him. But um, but yeah, it's. It's impacted me in that way, in that it's it's emotionally taxing on you to see that and be up front and close with it and not be able to do anything for them. And I want to say we've been careful not to name an institution and not to name a person. Um, 
we don't want to betray anybody's, I don't even know the name of this person, so it's not like we've had extensive conversations about this. I asked if Will would be willing to share an, a masked account, and um, the reason that I asked him to share it is because I feel like this is happening everywhere. Do you think it's safe to say people nationwide are going through this? Absolutely. And we don't hear about this very much. Um, you may hear it word of mouth from people, but it's not something that you'll see as a major news story. I haven't seen it very much, and I could have missed some of it. But most of what we see is case numbers and the latest headline regarding mask mandates. But we don't see personal stories like this a whole lot. Um, and I think we really need to. There are some people out there who are anti-mask, anti-mandates. They are anti-closing restaurants and bars. They want to reopen 100% of the economy and they want to do it yesterday. A lot of the people who feel that way feel that way because of what we just heard. They're not stupid. They're not grandma killers. They have reasons for thinking what they think, just like people who are pro-lockdown have, in distancing, have reasons for what they think. I think we're making the same mistake with this issue that we make with so many other issues, and it's we assume that people who disagree with us are stupid or just don't care as much as we do. There have been millions of people who have lost their jobs, so many people have lost their retirement, all their savings. Um, some people have lost everything. And there, I hate talking about it, but there are people committing suicide over it. Um, and it wasn't because of a virus. It was because of our response to that virus. I think there will be a lot of debate in the years to come about how we handle this, I think the majority of people would say not well. Would you agree, not well? Would that be your assessment of how we handled it? Uh, yes. We're in a we're in a lose-lose situation. I personally believe, knowing what we know now, that there was no stopping what happened. Um, I could be wrong about that, but this thing... Based on serology tests, it looks like it was here last fall, before we knew about it, before we even had a test for it. And when it started showing up here in numbers, we panicked. We panicked. And some people are still panicking. And it's not without reason. But I think it has to be coupled with facts on the ground. A lot of the data we're starting to see suggest that it's not as deadly to most populations as we thought at one time. Some people, people who are 70 or older, people with chronic respiratory conditions, or people with lots of comorbidities, they're not doing well with it. It seems to be very rough on those groups. So those are all facts, and there's no denying that. 
Yet we have to look at the whole picture. People who are moms, daughters, husbands, they're dying alone in the hospital because they're not allowed to have visitors. People were prevented from having funerals. Church pastors have been arrested for holding service. People out biking with no mask have been stopped and fined. Um, People not wearing a mask in a store have been screamed at, cursed at, filmed, and posted on social media. People have fought over toilet paper. It's canceled their weddings. It feels like we're in some kind of alternate universe. We're in a state of chaos. And people are tired of this after almost six months with no apparent end in sight. Will we change? Will we adapt at all? Um, Do our actions line up with what we have now been able to learn? Or will we just keep doing the same things we've been doing that have really, in my opinion, only accomplished prolonging this? Um, what do you think will be the approach moving forward in your opinion? Well, we're, we're at a crossroads right now because Congress is debating, um, a new extension to the, to the coronavirus aid. It was a $3 trillion bill that was passed earlier this year. And a lot of people got direct payments and the, the PPP loans for small businesses, all that good stuff. Well, the PPP loans were designed to provide two and a half months of payroll for small businesses. Well, if you got your PPP loan in April, that's May, that's June, and you make it through halfway in July. So what was done was an effort to blunt a lot of the whiplash effect that this would have on people economically, and there were federal unemployment benefits of $600 a week uh, that were issued. Those expired at the end of July. So you've got PPP loans that have expired. Federal unemployment has expired. Those stimulus payments were $1,200 per person, $24 for a married couple, and you might have gotten more for dependents. But uh, safe to say, with those being received two to three months ago, those have been burned through. Uh, in quite a few cases. So all that to say, we're at a crossroads where we have to do something because now is really the time when we're going to see the effect of what a lockdown is going to have on small businesses. There have been millions of businesses already closed their doors um, in the wake of all of this, but we stand to lose millions more if, um, if, if people are not allowed to, to go back doing their doing their daily routine. Uh, I suspect that um, this has been um, hijacked and uh, it's being exploited for all sorts of different purposes. I think that people have found a way to take advantage of a situation um, for their own benefit. 
we talked about the media the last time I was here, and that's a perfect example. Um, I think it's in the media's interest to hype up as much panic as possible so that people will read their stories yep. and people will watch them. That's a fact. Um, ju- yeah, just like we, we talked about in the last podcast. That's just one example. Um, so will things change? I think there are a lot of entities in motion that have a vested interest in things not changing. Um, something's got to give um, at some point. You know, the people make jokes all the time that this is going to end right after the election. I don't know if it's true or not, but um, I suspect I have optimism that um, that people will begin to push back on this. There's a um, cycle in geopolitics um, where if a crisis happens and people feel exposed and unsafe, they go to the government and they ask the government to protect them. That's step one. Step two is they get mad at the government for not protecting them. And then step three is that they um, are angry and rebel against the government for the steps they did take to protect them. So it's kind of like 9-11, right? In the wake of that, we had people with machine guns at airports and we were getting patted down going into football games. We were scared. We allowed that to happen. Then we got mad because grandmothers were being strip searched at TSA. And then we rebelled to the point where, you know, um, provisions were rolled back as far as wiretapping of phones and, and, and things like that. And I suspect we're eventually going to have the same thing. I think we're already in step two where people are getting annoyed uh, with some of the measures that have been put in place that we readily asked for in March and in April to make us feel a little bit better. Uh, and we're probably going to get into step three here sooner or later. But you you hit it right. The fallacy in all of this is that we have control over this because we don't. And that a politician could have pre- prevented it. Sure. Yeah, Dr. Fauci has uh, appeared before Congress several times, and I couldn't help but laugh because in one of his statements to Congress, he said, you know, we got to be careful because this thing is getting out of our control a little bit. And it's like this was never in our control to begin with. This is a virus. This is a force of nature. Um, There's really not a whole lot of non-medical interventions, as in non-pharmacological interventions that that we can put into place to stop this thing. This thing is going to do what it's going to do. This is all food for thought. We need to challenge what we think. We need to be open to the idea that we could improve on our response while still protecting those people who are most vulnerable. But I thought this was worth people's time to hear these accounts. Um, and I really appreciate you listening to this episode. And f- please share it with somebody if you think somebody would be interested to hear it. I think it's something that all regular people need to be aware of. Because there are some people who are extremely fortunate who are working some industry that is considered essential personnel and at worst they've had to deal with a cutback in hours 
but there are so many people out there right now who are struggling, and that's putting it mildly, and they don't know what they're going to do. And the truth is nobody knows what they're going to do. And I think it's extremely appropriate right now for faith-based organizations to empty the bank. Um, Truthfully, they're hurting right now, too, because people haven't been going to church. And when people don't go to church, they don't tithe. So there are a lot of this. there, There aren't very many people or institutions that have been immune from this. But I think that individuals need to take care of individuals right now. And thank you again for listening. And I've got more episodes coming to you in the next few weeks.